Hello and welcome to the Elevate Music podcast. I'm Lucy Heyman, vocal coach and PhD researcher, and in this episode we're going to talk about the highs and lows of touring and how to stay healthy on the road. We'll hear from Ben Perry, a tour manager for artists such as This Is The Kit, who tells us how he supports his artists whilst touring. But first, I spoke to solo artist and co-frontman of The Last Shadow Puppets, Miles Kane, about his touring experiences throughout his career. Could we start by hearing a little bit about your first experience touring? I was 17 and it was in a band called Little Flames. I can just remember sort of bits of it and like this sort of freedom that felt, you know, sitting in a van, driving to wherever we were going, Norwich or some mad town, you know. Even sat in like that transit van and it was literally, you know, in the back with like the gear and stuff like that and you take it in terms of sitting on an amp or sitting in the front. I was trying to think of a different word than escapism, but I guess in a way it is, you know, it was. When I joined that band and met those musicians, it was the first time I'd met four other people that just wanted to play music all day, you know. And when you're that age as well... How old were you? 17. They had this little record deal in Liverpool and they had their own practice room and that thing that it meant I didn't have to go to college, you know. At the time, my mum was mortified in a way because it was this whole new thing that wasn't the norm from what my mates were doing or what her upbringing was. It did seem sort of alien and it was a risk, you know, but it was just something that I had to do, you know. Mm. And what were those first gigs like? Amazing. I remember the first one in Liverpool was in this bar slash pub. It was called Hannah's Bar and there was no stage. But in my head then, I still felt I was in Wembley. I felt like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Brilliant. And even before that, actually, we used to go to this open mic night and uh and we'd get up and, I think, do like a Libertine song or like a Beatles song, me and me mate. Even that felt like Wembley. Anyone that's like young and doing those little things, go on those open mic nights and stuff like that, you get a hint of that feeling, what it's like to go on stage, you know. There isn't really much difference, to be honest. You get that excitement, whether you are doing the open mic night or those little gigs, and I think... Doing all that is so important. And I've done those runs of doing those little gigs so many times over the years. It's been like a bit of a roller coaster, you know what I mean? You've had it, then you've dropped down, you've been up, you've been down. So it really does test your character. But doing those early on, especially when you're young as a first thing, you can't really beat it in learning stuff. So what were some of the things that you learnt? I think over the years you you learn so much, whether it is, it's learning to deal with the love, the hate, the ups, the downs, the rejections, you know, the adoration. When you look back over the years, you you can see maybe bits where, um, wow, you did get caught up in a bubble there. And that, learning about that stuff, I think, is something that we talked about. That, as the older I get, has become something that really fascinates me, you know, and sort of realising those things and sort of having that self-awareness as well. And it started a few years ago. Definitely when I was younger, I probably wouldn't have cared. I would have been like, oh, I'm not shy of talking about this, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. As, a, as a young sort of naive, cocky so-and-so yeah. at times, you know. So you spoke about, like, the ups and downs and the highs and lows, and can you tell me a bit more about that, like the challenges that you face when you're touring or just generally in your music career? The thing about touring, it, it is like a community, and if you've got those people around you, whether it be your band or your crew or your management or that. You do need that because it is such a roller coaster and it, you can be isolated at times. Being on the road, you've got to wait around eight hours in the day and then yeah. you get this adrenaline buzz at 
nine o'clock or whatever, you know, and you start getting ready at six, seven. So all day, though, it's sort of you can do nothing, really. You could sit there and just look at a wall for eight hours <laughs> and then you can go on stage and take your top off. Yeah. So it's just sort of when you put it down like that, that's a weird lifestyle. But I really love it. But I think it is important to have that sort of community around you of like friends that you can talk to when you're feeling a bit low or isolated or, yeah. you know what I mean, you're feeling a bit down or whatever, you can speak to them, a close friend, family. A therapist is good as well when you feel vulnerable or you have another outlet in exercise. I got into boxing. I haven't done for about a month and I, I'm really, my mind now, is, I'm really sort of feeling it. It's mm. a strange thing. But when I started that a few years ago, just having that outlet of a fitness thing, I was like, wow, this makes me feel completely different. And can you keep that going when you're well, on the road? It, I've tried, to be honest. And then it just depends if you start staring at the wall for eight hours. There's this sort of middle ground mm. which needs to be explored where if you've got these things in your personality, you can go yeah. that way or that way. It's learning to sort of keep that middle and be happy at that. And it comes back to that idea of self-awareness you were just talking about. And interestingly, we spoke to Adam Fajcek, and he's now a psychotherapist. And his one piece of advice was to musicians starting out would be get a bit of self-awareness. It is amazing how you learn about how to deal with whatever the situation is. And it's amazing how you can adapt what you do learn in everyday life. If something, you know, makes you angry or rubs you the wrong way, you can adapt those little techniques or tricks mm. that you've learned and just to be able to stick it on the leaf and let it go down the river, as my mother would say. You said just now about how much you love being on the road. Can you tell us a bit more about that? I feel it's the most ultimate fulfilment I've experienced so far in life. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And I get this kick out of it. You know, it's, it's a high again. It's always searching for this mm. high, I guess. You know what I mean? And one, it's an enjoyment of playing songs loud and being mm. able to sing and having this release it's almost like doing a workout session or a boxing session or having a laugh with your mate. You get a buzz after doing it. And it's the ultimate fulfilment that I've ever experienced. It's an addiction almost, you know. Really? Yeah. After a gig or knowing that I'm going to a gig, knowing I've got one on Saturday, I like to know that I've got it coming up. Can you tell me a bit about your relationship with your fans and the audience when you're on stage? Weirdly, my manager, we were talking about these new songs and he goes, you know, when you're at a gig, you're like, I want you to be there and I want you to feel that this is the best night of your life. Even with playing certain songs, sometimes we extend them and there's a big sing-along, but I can't do that unless it's not going off. It's just, uh, just got to come from within, you know what I mean? That, and if I don't feel that, thing that we are in this together yeah. then I won't do it because I feel like it's so forced you know what I mean so you feel like there's like a relationship like a, going on between you and the audience yeah, yeah totally oh, wow. I'm not really one for say come on and clap your hands <laughs> but I'll say come on and let's have it and I've learned you can control it by feelings and you can control it by a look or you can control wow. it by just standing there more so than being everybody clap when I say you know what I mean it's a feeling I right. guess. So what are the major challenges that you face now on tour? It would probably revert back to that not getting too loose and then not getting to the other way either. It's just sort of finding that balance for me. So you've worked with some amazing musicians. Have you noticed any differences in the way that they deal with touring or how they look after their health? I guess we're all sort of pretty 
the same in a sense, you know. The only person that can give you advice is yourself. Well, you can take on advice, of course, but I think it's only learning those things when you have gone too hard or you're too tired and you have drank too much. You know, you you only go through that over the years by learning that yourself. And I think it applies to everybody, not just musicians. If you get knocked down, it's how you get up, isn't it? That's when you prove your character and you prove who yeah. you are. And what you learn from something. Exactly. So yeah. you don't make the same mistake Yeah, again. exactly. So does touring affect your relationships at all? The longest relationship I had, it's like a couple of years, say. During that one, yeah, it's like she would come with us on tour and that, and that was all great. I guess it just depends on the relationship yeah. fundamentally. I think whether you are on tour or you're not, I think if you feel like that love with someone, you could find windows that you'd look forward to and you can enjoy these things together, yeah. yeah. What about relationships with your friends and family, like who aren't involved in music? Even though I'm away a lot, I mean, I, I'm very close to my mother, so we speak yeah. every day. So we will always text, you know what I mean, whether I'm on tour or not, really, or and then I speak to her every few days on the phone. It's funny, though, like, I don't really feel a disconnection with her because she's like, oh, I haven't seen you for six months, and then I forget that. I'm so sort of in this world... Maybe it is my own bubble, but I'm still communicating with her and I'll send the photos of, you know, I'm out with my mate or I'm in yeah. the studio or we text or whatever. So I'm on this sort of daily sort of update with her, which mm. is something that fulfills me as well that I enjoy. But then I guess it's sort of because I'm in this bubble, yeah, I do forget that, oh, yeah, God, six months has gone by or eight months and, yeah, I haven't seen you. But that's yeah. great that you still stay in contact with her on a regular basis. Yeah, that's yeah, really... I have to, you know, for me as well, you know. So would you consider yourself healthy? I think so, yeah. So what, think, do, what do you do to stay I healthy? I feel like I'm not at the minute, though. I've just sort of in this middle of this tour. I haven't done exercise or that for a month. At the moment, I'm in a bit of a tiff with myself. Yeah, can you tell me a bit about what it's like when you come back off touring? Mm. So when you get home? Yeah, well... I guess you're kind of there at the moment, right? So we just did this two and a half week tour, France and Italy. I got back Friday and it was you were on this bus, but I ended up sort of sleeping, going to bed late and sleeping in. I wasn't getting up till two in the afternoon. And then, like, now sort of I'm back last few nights, like, I haven't been able to sleep till three, four, you know, but I'm trying to get... I'm putting my alarm on early. I was like, all right, I'm going to the gym before this podcast yeah, today. But I, I woke up at half seven, I was like, I can't be out. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. I was so tired. I was like, I'm just oh, going to have a coffee you. and some toast and yeah. <laughs> look at them in the mirror for half an hour before coming out. So it's hard to sort of rejig. It's a lot of effort to do that. Because when I am home, I don't want to be sleeping until two. Because yeah. then I feel I'm in a funk then. I want to yeah. get up and I want to go and do my things, you know. Do you find when you get home, sometimes it's a bit of a shock, but sort of that reality kind of hits you in a way? Yeah, I mean, in one sense it is... And it depends on the levels where you're at. Obviously, the bigger you get, the easier touring is, in, in, in a way, you know. It could be said that it's easier than being at home because you don't have to do anything. But then it's nice to get home as well. It just takes, like... Because uh, obviously there's a lull as well, and it's learning to deal with that. Extremes will bring anxiety on and worry, yeah. you know, as well. So it's the more you do, the more you learn about those feelings. There's always going to be a lull, and I think it's just accepting that you've just been smashing it every night, and, you know, you've been singing your heart out and getting everyone's loving it and you're having an, you're having the best time ever really because it's like this amazing build up excitement so yeah. you know you go back home to your house or your flat you know the chase is on which is a nice song I love sat on the couch in a track mm. eating Harry Bow yeah. watching Countdown do you know what I mean I do 
it's just like learning to enjoy both of them things, you yeah. know. And there is a transition period, and that's the bit that's like could be so easy to be like, I'm going to go to the pub and get smashed because there's nothing to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. You've got to take control of of those thoughts, really. Yeah. So I know you said you don't really feel that healthy now, but when you're feeling healthy, what do you do to stay healthy? Just go to the gym, boxing, really. It was something that got introduced to. It was about seven years ago when I lived in North London. I'd been to sort of these different martial art gyms over the years and then I moved to LA and it was all the guys that sort of these ex-fighters that run these gyms, everyone I've been to, these martial arts gyms, they're like, I became really close with them and they, they're, they're the nicest lads and girls that you'd ever meet. Do you know what I mean? In a way, yeah. because they have their own story and the, you know this that was their way out or whatever it may be. But they're, they're so sort of in tune with things and the fitness brings that and it brings this sort of clarity doesn't it as well there's this sort of comforting thing that you get from it in a strange way one you feel great after and then one you meet these different people that you can learn from them as well if you get to do that on a regular basis that also can be like a sort of therapist thing it's amazing if you spend an hour with someone a few times a week how quick you get to know them and it's like that from being in a band you know it's like I got a new band for this last album that we were doing over this past sort of year, whatever. And it's amazing. You know, I sort of knew a couple of them, but not really. But it's amazing when you're in a confined space with somehow quickly you get to know them and how close you can get. And I feel like that even when I've gone deep into sort of boxing and stuff like that. And especially if you do a one-on-one or you do a group thing and you get to know the, the people in there, you know, you get... A lot of people, I guess, would say that's a sense of their family as well, you know. Yeah, that idea of a family dynamic within a band is quite... We hear this quite a lot. You will spend so much time with those people that it could almost be as much time as you spent with your partner or family yeah so if someone was starting out in a band now and they're about to go on the road have you got any advice that you give them enjoy it really you know what i mean and like be comfortable in who you who you are but you're always going to be learning and you want to better yourself you know what i mean and it's like i don't think this is ever this thing where it's like i am complete you know what i mean (laughs) yeah you never complete your own game but for anyone young starting out, it would just be to absolutely just live it, you know. And I think it's important to not have regrets and to sort of be who you want to be. And sometimes if you feel that's uncomfortable, then just have a little check of yourself. It comes back to that idea of self-awareness again, doesn't it? Yeah. And that idea of personal journey. And just finally, could you tell me something that you love about your music career? It's everything about it. I love doing it every day, you know. I like the gigs, the fans going to make new tunes, sat here, chat to you, getting a call from your management, deciding what the next move is. I love this life of whatever it may bring, you know what I mean? From the music to something that isn't involved in music, but it's come from that, or just this whole, like, uh, everything about it, really. So that's how I feel right now at this moment in time, Mm. you know. Well, it's amazing. It sounds like you're in the right job. Yeah. (laughs) Miles, thank you so much for your time. It was absolutely fascinating talking to you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me, Luz. The Elevate Music podcast is produced in partnership with Help Musicians, an independent charity that has been supporting musicians for nearly 100 years. Through an integrated programme of health and welfare services, the charity offers a lifetime of support when it's needed most. For more information on Help Musicians, or to find out how to access that support, visit helpmusicians.org.uk. Next, I spoke to Ben Perry, tour manager for artists such as This Is The Kit.
In your experience, what are the common issues that you see that artists face when they're on tour? I think the main thing is I think something that Miles mentioned, which is the general level of boredom. There's so much time where you're not needed on call. Obviously, it's not something as tour managers I have the luxury of, of having much of, but um, for the band's point of view, you know, the, the van time, waiting around, soundcheck time, and it's how you fill that time and how you keep yourself occupied and, and busy, I think is really important because that can become a drain if you haven't prepared for it. So with the artists you work with, how do they keep themselves busy and occupied? It varies. So this is the kit. They quite often go swimming or they'll write things and go off on guitar shops and those sort of things or sleep, <laughs> trying desperately to yeah. catch up with the sleep. So do you see any differences with artists at different career levels? Because I know you're a musician yourself, aren't you? And you've obviously toured as a musician as well. I did for years. Yeah. yeah so do you see any differences in, in the experiences and the challenges people face at different career levels? One of the biggest issues is that I think if there are things that aren't addressed in the early days, if there are little things that you don't deal with, they just grow, magnify as the whole process grows. Obviously, there is aspects which are easier. You've got more space, there's more budget, better catering, you know, all those sort of aspects of it. But little band sort of things and personal health routines are very easy to bury. I think they do grow and magnify as pressure, especially as the tours get bigger press and, and various other pressures that are, are on an artist and becoming more recognised in public gives you much less private space to be able to get away from it all. I think those are a lot of things that grow and, and become a pressure on you as the, as the tours get bigger. Could you give me an example of one of those things when you say you've got to sort them out at the beginning? Little band niggles, things that you haven't, little personality, ego issues, things between different people that you've just put aside or relationships that you've got for example if you've you know got a relationship with somebody and it's always been a slight issue that you're off traveling but it's only been a couple of weeks here and there and the next minute it's a couple of months and then the next minute you're getting a flight to you know the states for eight months and suddenly it's like i can't do this anymore you know those are obviously things that are very foreseeable and things that you need to be able to project and i think and see in advance as they grow so how do you support your artists when you're on the road See, a lot of it from my point of view is about how I advance the shows and how I prepare for them. I think, you know, for certain acts, certainly like this kit, for example, giving them as much of a structure that they can then work around themselves. So they know where they've got to be and, and all those sort of things, but then it gives them the time to be able to plan around that individually. If an artist of yours was on the road and suddenly had, say, like a really bad vocal health issue, what would you do at that point? I've had the... Well, I guess you could call it an advantage, but the advantage of being in that situation, the problem is you only learn by experience. I think something else yeah, that Miles mentioned was there's lots of these sort of things you only really learn over time. It's very easy to see the signs once you know that they're there, but when you're kind of younger especially, you kind of just power on through it. I did a tour in Ireland with a band that I was in at the time. As the band, we weren't conscious of the things that we needed to look for you know we were playing too loudly there wasn't decent monitoring we weren't looking after ourselves properly and, and she was just kind of powering through and doing a great job but we just weren't aware of the bigger picture and then three four days in she couldn't speak and it took her months of voice therapy to be able to sing again that was all very easy to deal with but we didn't at the time and then I had to learn from that so I think in hindsight now I think it's very easy to start making sure that certain things are in place, certain things on a technical level, or making sure that you're listening to people. If they've got issues with something, that they're addressing it then and there rather than 
just kind of go, yeah, it's cool, let's just crack on. So it really encourages people to actually use tour managers that are really experienced. Because I think sometimes people can get someone to do the tour who doesn't necessarily have experience in that area. So it sounds like your experience really feeds into being able to support I mean, I had that experience, especially as an artist, so it does does help. I think most of it is just listening. A great deal of what I do, especially in the van, probably don't realise this, but I'm listening to everything that everybody says all the time. Really? Because that's where you pick up all those little bits of, you know, personal issues, things where people say, I really need to do that, or I'm getting really tired of that. All those little bits of information which feed then into me and I think, right, you know, I can build that back into something without kind of dealing with it directly. Mm. And that's, again, one of those things. I think if you, if people are struggling and you're watching people and you can tell, you know, when the band's on stage, generally I try and, you know, I've got eye contact with them most of the time, just looking out for all those sort of things. And if, you know, someone's touching their throat or they're coughing and drinking excessive amounts of water, then they're obviously trying to power through a situation rather than um, deal with the root of it. And so what would you do if you noticed that? What would you do afterwards? Generally, I try and do little remarks. Most people know better anyway, but making sure, like, have you warmed down? Have you warmed up? One of the worst times is when you walk off stage and you go and stand by the merch table and you're chatting to people from the crowd because that dry chat is one of the worst things for your voice. So it's really important that you walk off stage and you just take 10 minutes to just cool down, drink some water, whatever else it is. I think quite often the artists will look for me to be the one to say, no, you need half an hour, 10 minutes, whatever else it is, and give them the opportunity rather than say, I I need you over by this merch table right now because people are asking for you. Because I'm there to sort of obviously support them and protect them in that way rather than put them in that position. So when you're listening into their conversations in the van or whatever, if you can hear that there's a potential relationship breakdown that's going to happen between two members of the band, what would you do then? Would you have a chat with them about it? It entirely depends on the people and their relationship. Again, every tour is different. Every people are different. People deal with things in different ways. You have to, I think, being aware of it, first of all, really helps. And then obviously little things... You know, if you can be that person that people can come up to and say, oh, just, they're really doing my head in. You know, I wish they would do this. I wish they wouldn't do that. You know, if I, if I can be that person, that's great because then I can try and help or instigate things or drop subtle things and like bring it back around. But most of the time people bottle things or they'll take it personally or they won't, which is why, you know, you have to really look for it on a more subconscious level and, and look for people being awkward with each other or little bits of passive-aggressive silence so <laughs> is you, always the key, I think. Yeah. Do you ever feel like your your role kind of almost extends into a sort of counsellor-therapist role sometimes? Oh, I think my role is pretty much whatever is expected. I come from a slightly different background. Most people who get into tour management, I think, come from a technical background. They start off as sound engineers. And, whereas I ran a venue for about five years and was a promoter for, so before that and obviously a performing musician. And Before that, I did... Like a lot of people, I worked in the service industry for many, many years, and I always really enjoyed that. And I think there's an aspect of that type of work, not servile, but where you're always looking at people, you're reading people, you're looking for what people's needs are, looking to preempt people's needs rather than you know trying to sort of catch up after the course. So that's a mentality that I've always kind of been into and and, and sort of enjoyed as well. And I've tried to bring that into it as well. As I say, not in a I'm here to serve you type way, but look after maybe as a and 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 preempt problems and and read people as best I can. So the industry is quite focused on this concept of healthy touring. Obviously we met at a panel with the um, music managers forum yeah. talking about this. 
is this a concept that is achievable? Is it realistic? What do you think? I think it is. I think there are certain aspects that are realistic and certain that aren't. I think you have to differentiate. There are venues which have huge amounts of government and charity funding, have way too much money poured into them. They have a million pound building and yeah, it's great. They have these wonderful rooms and, and, and luxury offerings and they can pay bands very well. The reality is something very different. I was a member of the Music Venues Trust when I was working at the railway in, in Winchester and the struggle for grassroots venues is a, is a, is a massive issue. And so I think you have to look at where the money chain is and where money's being spent. And a lot of the time, you know, you can't turn to a small venue and say you need to be providing more sort of healthy food. And it can be a very difficult sort of thing to, to instigate to somebody who's already losing money. However, there are lots of things that can be done which just show a little bit more care involving everybody in, in that cycle. Mm. And I think that's where I think the industry needs to sort of look at is to where money's being allocated and spent and you know what things are getting provided for people and it's not just as i say i think it's not just artists it's it's the people who work in the venues it's the industry generally i think so what would a healthy tour look like to you it's getting easier now that things like veganism have become more widespread you know it used to be the days where every time you stopped it was in a you drew into a service station and it was a cheese and ham sandwich hula hoops and a Ribena you know and it was just like I can't do this every day there are certain venues now one of my favourite venues I went to recently was uh, Hug and Pint in Glasgow you know it's a very small venue it's been going for ages but um, just the most fantastic vegan food I mean, it's really creative, really interesting. And there's other little things like they've got this tiny little backstage area, but they've got like a cellar, which is their normal beer cellar. But one of the guys who owns it got a load of MDF and built a little dressing room in the back of the cellar. And it's got like a little sink and a fridge. And, you know, it's everything you kind of need. It's basic, but there was very little cost involved with that. But it really just showed a real level of care and empathy about wanting to make the space work as best as it could for all the people who had to use it. So do you find with the venues that you go into, this is something that people are starting to think about, how they can create healthy spaces for artists and how they can support them better? Not enough. As I say, it's not just the artists, it's it, it's everybody involved, but certainly from the artist's point of view. One thing I tried to do when I was working at the railway was to think about what it's like for an artist to arrive at the venue for the moment you arrive to the moment you drive off. And, and walk through that whole experience. And there are so many little things that you can do which changes the whole mood of the, of the night. Like just when you arrive at a gig that your band's poster is on the front can change the whole night for the band. You arrive and that someone there knows who you are. And it's not just a bar manager who kind of goes, oh, is the music on tonight? Oh, whatever. You know, yeah. and you're like, oh, the sound guy doesn't normally get here for another three hours. And like, well, I, you know, so it's all suddenly... If you're dealing with that for one night, it's just something that you deal with. If you're dealing with that every night for a month, it just gets to the point where you're like, can somebody just, you know, and obviously a big part of my job is to check all these things and advance all these things and, and go through this anyway. But there are so many little things that can be done which cost nothing, which just show a care. And I think a lot of people either don't care enough or aren't thinking through the process enough. So there's a lot of times where I'm sort of chatting to, you know, a promoter or a venue rep or, or someone and I'm to sort of go, and what do we do here? And where are they going to put their bags? And, you know, and all these little things that that could be sorted out with a lot, with a little bit of care and not, and not an investment because we know that the venues don't have the money to spend. 
What role do riders play in all this? Riders have changed. I think the old archetypal days of blue M&Ms and whatever it was, has <laughs> kind of changed over, you know, I mean, I, working at the railway again, I, I had some, bearing in mind it's, a, you know, the main room was only 150 capacity. The, some of the rides we had were, some were funny and some were just insulting. And others are just, seem to make perfect sense to the artists, you know, they, they might make perfect sense, but they're not thinking, well, a promoter has got to go to a shop and buy that. And if it's not in their local shop, then they've got to go. To, so what's happened now a lot of the time, what because there's a lot of stuff that often gets wasted, and I think that's a, a big issue. N- most of the time now when I do the advancing, I generally say to people, you've put aside a 100 quid catering budget, give us a 100 quid, don't get us anything. With this the kit, we never use plastics or anything else, so we've all got water bottles. We literally don't need anything other than the kettle and a space. We'll sort ourselves out. Then you don't have to worry about going to what you've got to buy and things getting wasted. Miles spoke about some of the challenges about coming home from tour. Is this something that you experience? Yeah, I think that's very common. I think you know, the adrenaline of performing live and just being on the road, the enjoyment of being on the road. He mentioned something about escapism. It's funny, you about three, four days into a tour, you can always normally see there's a tipping point on a tour where, where collectively everyone kind of drops into the same sort of slight madness and you start having all the same sort of in-jokes and you kind of start feeling like you're in a bit of a bubble. And that can be really fun because you feel like you're just sort of like on your own, separate from the rest of society to a degree. And then you come back to home and you're sort of still in that bubble and you're still in that adrenaline. And that can, certainly it can kind of rub against relationships that you have with people. How do you cope with that change when you get home? I think the biggest issue for people, especially musicians, if you finish a tour and you're like, you've got nothing else booked. Certainly if you're younger, you're like, you've, you've finally done that big tour and you're, you're really excited and you come home and it's been great and you just, all you want to do is do the next one or get back into the studio. So I think having a longer term plan really, really helps for me. Mm. Obviously knowing the, the next tour, I can then, I know I'm going to have two weeks off and then crack on with the next sort of project sort of thing. But. So interestingly, we chatted downstairs about your schedule. It's absolutely crazy. I'm fascinated to know, how do you stay healthy? I walk quite a lot. I try and mentally have periods where I go, I'm, I mean, I literally have to find things to do that occupy my brain that don't involve thinking about touring. So I'll do crosswords and, and, yeah, go on walks and listen to music and that sort of stuff. Yeah, just try and eat well, try and keep hydrated, all those sort of usual sort of things. Keep in touch with people. Keep you know, keep in touch with friends as best you can and things and family. And do you have any advice for any young bands starting out about how they can stay healthy on tour with a tight budget? Not getting carried away. I mean, enjoying it, but not sort of letting yourself just fall into the usual sort of traps of just getting wasted every night, waking up hungover, eating trash. It's so easy to do because it's so exciting for the for the first. But you have to remember you're kind of working as well, and being aware as well as that. I think this is why I think it's really important that the venues and the tour managers and those sort of people they're not feeding artists with healthy food or kind of forcing stuff on them. They're just trying to create the opportunities and that give them the tools to, for people to be able to look after themselves. So you know, help them <laughs> look after themselves. Basically, you know, yeah. I guess is the idea. And finally. You obviously live on the road. What do you love about touring? I mean, everything. I think you've got to you've got to love all of the aspects of it. I think, you know, otherwise, it's just too much of a drain. I've been in bands with people who loved doing the gigs, but they were like, oh, and they've been in the van all the time, and I hate camping at night. I was like, then you're going to struggle with this because I love all of it. I love sharing the highs and the lows with bands, those, those small moments that only I get to see with them, you know, little things I can think with different artists where they've you know, 
their biggest venue or little moments of, of success, reviews, whatever it is, sharing those moments with people is, is a real joy. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Ben. My pleasure. If you need help with any of the issues that have been raised in today's episode, you'll find links and signposts to all the appropriate services in the podcast description. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate it, comment and subscribe, as this will help other musicians find us. You can follow us on social media at Elevate Music Pod and send us an email at elevatemusicpod at gmail.com. This podcast was produced by Elevate Music and Wise Buddha in partnership with Help Musicians. Thanks for listening and see you next time.